Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Brad Thor. Brad is the number one New York Times bestselling author of now 23 thrillers. Known for his innovative plots and extensive knowledge of intelligence, special operations, and terrorist communities, Brad has appeared on Fox News, CNN, CNN Headline News, MSNBC, and many other media outlets to discuss terrorism and current events, as well as how closely his novels of international intrigue parallel the real threats facing the world today. Brad was recruited in the Department of Homeland Security's Red Cell program, an elite group of writers and artists commissions to brainstorm terrorist scenarios for the U.S. government. We're excited to have Brad back on the podcast today to discuss his latest thriller, Deadfall, coming out July 25th. Brad, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. It's great to be back with you, Fred. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness, Brad, I'm reading Deadfall, and I must say that this almost seems like it's taking place in real time as we speak. Yeah, that was the, you know, I pride myself on uh, Dan Brown. Let me let me start there. My friend Dan Brown, the wonderful author, had said that uh, Brad Thor's thrillers are as current as tomorrow's headlines. And I always have uh, prided myself on beating the headlines. I've never written a thriller in real time which is what I've done with Deadfall. So it was uh, <laughs> a bit anxiety-producing, a little bit of a nail-biter going down to the wire to get the book uh, to publication, not knowing how much could change. But uh, yeah, I'm very proud of this one. And in the, all of the early reviews have just been fantastic. So I'm, I'm very humbled. Well, it's tremendous. Uh, now, can you give us a little teaser about what Deadfall is about? Yes. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's funny, Fred, as you and I are recording this last night, believe it or not, I'd read the book. I'd never watched the movie, uh, Ice Station Zebra. And I watched Ice Station Zebra last night with Rock Hudson, Ernest Borgnine. I mean, just this amazing, amazing movie from the book by Alistair McLean. And I, you know, I grew up reading novels like that where Eagles dare the guns of Navarone, all this kind of stuff. And I'd always wanted to write a World War II style thriller. But, you know, I didn't want to set it in World War II. I've had this, you know, I've been an author for over two decades now and always wanted to do this. So when the war in Ukraine happened, uh, just as a as someone who's interested in foreign affairs and global politics, I paid a lot of attention to what was going on. And the more I read about it, the more I said, you know what, there's a lot here that I think people don't know. And it's this incredible setting uh, for a World War II style thriller, but set in the modern day where somebody gets dropped into a war zone and has to work their way out of it, has an objective they have to achieve. It's very dangerous. There's bombs going off. There's, you know, an enemy military, all that kind of stuff. So the concept for 
Deadfall. Uh, the the plot, my elevator pitch, if you will, is that um, a rogue Russian military unit uh, is on the loose in Ukraine, and they are committing just hellacious. Uh, war crimes. And they have targeted a couple of Americans who happen to be over there trying to help in the effort, not soldiers, aid workers. And so the United States says, we need to settle the score here. And Ukraine says, we'd love to help you, but we can't afford to to to, to give you anybody to work with. And they said, that's okay. We got the guy we can send over. He's going to figure out who did this and he's going to settle the score. So it's all about my protagonist, Scott Harvath, who's a former Navy SEAL who gets dispatched to Ukraine. And all of the the mistakes and screw ups and things like that that happen on normal operations that are compounded uh, because of the fog of war and all the demands uh, that are placed on the Ukrainian military he gets no support, all this kind of stuff, not because they don't want to support him, but just they're pulled in all these different directions. So it's dropping an unbelievable warrior actually into an active war zone with no support and uh, harvest the kind of guy who gets the job done no matter what. And so that's what the book's about. Well, that's no doubt. Uh, I know that I've read every Brad Thor novel, and I think, is this number 23 or number 24? You're good. It's number 23. That's what I thought. I was looking through my library and trying to figure out which one this was. And wind back the clock, Brad, 23 books ago, did you ever envision that Brad Thor and Scott Harvath would be right here? You know, it's uh, it's funny because I had never, and just for the audience, for, for those listening who haven't read one of my books or heard us speak before, I tell people that my books are like the James Bond movies. You can go out tomorrow and see the latest Bond movie in the theater, having never watched any of them before. And my books are the the same way. You don't have to have read any of the previous books to jump right into Deadfall. Um, you know, a few years ago, James Patterson wrote a novel with Bill Clinton. And I remember being so ticked off because Patterson dropped into my publication date. And I knew that book because it was so unusual to have a thriller co-authored by a former president. I knew we were going to get a real horse race there. And uh, somebody who works with me pulled me aside and she said, OK, I get it. You're ticked that Patterson and Bill Clinton have <laughs> dropped into your date. But she said, Brad, if you could rewind and go back to being a creative writing student at the University of Southern California... And if I had tapped you on the shoulder and said, listen, this creative writing stuff is going to pan out, but there's going to be a moment in the future where you are competing against James Patterson in a former uh, United States president for your position on the New York Times list, you know, I would have said, I'll take it. I'll grab it with both hands. So, uh, you know, when you rewind the tape, I, I had no idea I was going to be here. I never intended for Harvath even to be a series character. I was a big fan of Michael Crichton. And I loved that, uh, for the most part, Crichton wrote brand new books every time. It was not a, you know, kind of a franchise uh, protagonist, if you will. So I had thought I would do that. And after I wrote my first novel, The Lions of Lucerne, and my editor said, okay, well, what do you have up next? And I told her, she said, whoa, 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 you've got to bring Harvath back. You can't yeah. go write a completely brand new character. She said, everybody who's read that first book, all of our kind of... Uh, Test readers love that character, and you have to bring him back. So, yeah, no, I, I never anticipated ever writing another book with this character, but the fans have loved him, and so I've continued to bring him back. Tell us a little bit about Harvath. How did you develop that character? So it's interesting. Uh, my cousins 
uh, all lived on Coronado in Southern California. I'm a Chicago guy, grew up in the Midwest. Uh, the Marine Corps was my dad's ticket out of the South side of Chicago. And he saw the world with the Marines. My mom was a flight attendant for TWA and they met after my dad had gotten out of the Marine Corps and went to college on the GI bill and they got married, had me, had my brother. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because growing up in the Midwest, uh, you know, I knew my dad, I knew other people from the Marine Corps with my dad, a uh, good buddy of my dad's uh, had joined the FBI. His dad, uh, his dad, his name is Gary Penrith, and Gary's dad was a successful uh, person in the insurance business, and his dad had been killed during a robbery in their driveway had been mm. gunned down by a criminal and Gary inherited uh, a pretty substantial sum of money and he decided he wanted to go into the FBI and and he did so I grew up with this marine corps kind of law enforcement influence around me people that I knew and then my cousins on Coronado you know you could see the seals training out there and everything when we go to visit uh, you know they'd be sugar cooking them they'd be rolling around in the sand or running right. with the logs or in the cold surf those poor guys uh and so Harvath really is an amalgamation of people that I've known over the years who have been uh, in the intelligence world, in the military law enforcement. <clears throat> Excuse me. In fact, Harvath is actually named after a friend of my wife's, believe it or not. I was looking for an unusual name I hadn't seen before in books. And my wife has a good friend uh, who was U.S. Army in the JAG Corps and uh, now has been career DOJ processing FISA warrants. Uh, so it's funny, Harvath, even Harvath's name has a, uh, has a root somewhere in the people that I know. Well, that's an amazing story. And Brad, when you think about uh, a guy like Harvath, uh, do you eventually see him kind of fading away like George Smiley and the Lacare series? Or what do you envision down the road? Or have you thought that far ahead? You know, it's it's interesting. I just sat on a panel uh, a month ago with Michael Conley, who writes the Bosch books. And oh, yeah. There's the Bosch series on Amazon Prime. And uh, I was there. Also, our mutual friend uh, Jack Carr was on the panel. Mark Greeny was on the panel. And it was really funny because we all had this moment. I mean, here we are, successful authors, and we got asked a question about how do you just kind of dribble out the little reveals about your character. You all write series characters. You know, how do you decide what to hold on to for the next book? And we all cracked up and we all looked at each other. We all answered this question. We all started talking. We don't hold anything back. All we know is what we're working on right now. And we are desperately trying to finish the current book that, that we owe our publisher. There is no holding back. There is no three books from now I'm going to do this. It's all just, you know, when you write a book a year, the focus really is on making that book as good as it can be. So I'm not thinking several steps ahead, but what does influence me, I mean, Harvath, you know, Harvath's been at this game for a while and I've got buddies of mine that are still out there and, right. you know, they're like Tom Brady. They're going to decide when they're going to leave the field. Nobody else is going to decide for them. And I'm watching these guys take what would probably be banned substances in a lot of sports, uh, but there is no rule book when it comes to kicking in doors and shooting bad guys in the face. So I'm watching these guys. They are like professional athletes. And, you know, like I said, there's certain performance enhancing drugs they're taking, anything that gives them the edge. They can keep their strength, they can keep their speed. Uh, so no, no plans for Harvath to kind of fade away 
anytime soon. But I will say this, I am looking forward to doing some other projects where, you know, I've got younger members on Harvest team and I would love to do a book about one or two of them and kind of bring them up through the ranks. And that's that's also the constant struggle that Harvest has professionally uh, with, with his organization is they don't want him in the field anymore. Harvet thinks that nobody else can do it as well as he can, so he refuses to come in and be management. He wants to stay as labor, and they say, you know what, you're too valuable to have in the field. You should be identifying new agents and helping to recruit them and develop them and bring them up and all that kind of stuff. So there's a constant tension. So that's an excellent question because it is something that Harvet continually faces uh, in each book. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment, but first... I wanted to tell you a little about Ontic's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, Check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Brad, when I attend large security events or we have uh, seminars or other symposiums, uh, you would be, well, you probably would not be shocked when I say this, but I can't tell you the sheer number of fans that you have in the security industry. And I think that also uh, comes across with police and law enforcement and federal agents of all ilk. You really have, have hit a chord with actual individuals out there doing the job day in and day out, setting and follow cars, standing post, traveling around the globe and so forth. You've got a lot of a lot of friends out there in the industry, which I'm sure you're well aware of. Well, I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. And I have to tell you, the reason that I'm able to write the books that I do is because of men and women in law enforcement and in uh, the security arena, the intelligence arena, special operations community. Uh, without them, I wouldn't have the the great color details I do in my book. And it's it's funny, back to my dad's buddy. Gary Penrith. Uh, so Gary, uh, I had a <laughs> I had a neighbor when I lived in Park City who was FBI, and I asked him. I said, you know, where have you been? What are some of the field offices you've been in, and everything? And he had had Gary as his boss at one point. There was just a it was just a small small world, and and Gary was very kind. I used to see Gary and his wife uh, every year in Sun Valley, Idaho, because the National Executive uh, Institute uh, used to have their uh, conference out there and they do it with major city chiefs. So I got to know all these police chiefs from across the country. So I was very blessed in that I was able to develop these personal relationships that I could parlay into professional relationships and really get those color details. I had a lot of very, very wise, experienced law enforcement officers, federal, state, local, uh, who are all willing to help me. So I think that's one of the reasons why people enjoy the books is because I strive so hard to get all the details correct. 
Oh, you certainly do. I, I don't want to give away any key points in Deadfall, but uh, the scenarios that play out between the FBI and the DC police to me had me <laughs> chuckling, had me just really, really chuckling, almost hearkening back to those days, watching those kinds of turf issues unfold. Brad, do you begin with an end in mind with your books? No, I don't. I know there's a lot of authors that do. And uh, you know, back to Dan Brown to to put Dan's name out there again. Uh, my, I, I'm what's in in my industry. I'm what's called a pantser, which means I do everything by the seat of my pants. You're either a pantser or you're an outliner. And Dan Brown is an outliner. And Dan and I have the same agent. And so one year, my agent said, "Listen." You know, I just I cringe watching you, you know, in the writing process because it's so tough for you because you don't you come to your office every day and you don't know what's going to happen next. And that's got to be stressful. And so Heidi said, listen, why don't you give Dan a ring? And Dan's a big outliner. Talk to Dan about outlining. And in fact, maybe Dan will share the outline for Da Vinci Code with you. And Dan's such a super, super guy. He did. It was very cool. I got to see all the planning that went into Da Vinci Code. Wow. And, and I was a big fan of the book. So the cool thing was seeing what didn't make it into Da Vinci Code, what had been cut, what was on the editing room floor, if you will. And I thought, okay, I'm going to outline a book. And I'd always wanted to set a novel with Harvath in Greece because I had lived in Greece uh, when I was a college student for a while. And I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I outlined the whole thing. And I went to write it. And it was just, I, all the joy was out of me. In fact, uh, I always like to quote Robert Frost, who said, no joy in the writer, no joy in the reader, no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader. So I want to have the same experience writing the novel that you do reading it. You know, I want to know that my guy's got a briefcase, he's got two bullets in him, and he's got to get across Zurich to the, to the Bahnhof uh, in the next 45 minutes or he's going to miss this train and everything's going to fall apart on his operation. But I don't know how he's going to get there. Uh, so I, I want my heart pounding, my palms sweating, that kind of experience writing. And, and it is a difficult thing to do to be a pantser. There is a certain amount of stress to it because every day I, I come in, I got I don't know. I'm looking at a blank screen. I don't want, I don't know what's going to happen. And my joke is, is that when I come home, my wife knows if it's going to be a red wine night or a bourbon night by the look on my face. Uh, and she always tells me, she said, listen, don't worry, you'll figure it out when you get in the office tomorrow, you'll, you'll work your way out of it. But I think, I think that not knowing what's going to happen next actually enhances my stories, makes the books even better. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, talk us a little bit through your process. Do you start every day with writing or how do you go about uh, the TikTok of getting your job done? So that's that's good. I've I've still got one child left at home that's going to change this September. The youngest is going off to school. So I, I I like to be around as a dad. I want to be there when they leave for school in the morning and I want to be there for dinner at night. So that means I've got a fixed amount of time, you know, X amount of hours during the day that I can write. And uh, I'm a big physical fitness guy. So see the kids off to school. Now it's kid singular. And uh, then I work out. And then shower, have breakfast, get into my office, and then I'm a voracious reader. So I'll read the New York Times, uh, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. I'll be on different breaking news sites, uh, foreignpolicy.com. I'm all over the place. Different, uh, yeah, different military websites, different kind of open source intelligence websites, things like that. I'm constantly trying to hoover up 
what's going on in the world at that particular moment. Uh, and so that takes a couple of hours. That's kind of my warm up, if you will. I want to be really well versed on what's going on in the world because politics, particularly geopolitics, that's my baseball. I'm not glued to Monday night football. I'm not a basketball guy. I'm not a, I'm not a sports guy. Uh, but stuff that's happening domestically and internationally and on the political stage, that's really what jazzes me. I, I really get a lot of excitement out of following that kind of stuff and trying to predict where it's going to go. So big, voracious consumer news. You know, that gets me into kind of mid-morning. I hit that second cup of coffee. And then I have to actually physically turn the internet off. So I can go unplug the router on the rack in my office uh, because if I don't, I'm going to be distracted all day long. I can convince myself the next story is about to break and I've got to watch it. I mean, the Internet's a great tool, but it's also a, an incredible distraction. So then I like to write for four or five hours. And I, I'm a big fan of the, the maxim that if the tap isn't open, the water doesn't flow. So I have to force myself to sit in front of the computer and then to write for four or five hours. And that that seems to kind of be my limit. There's there's that production, uh, what is it, production possibility frontier curve. I'm trying to remember back to economics in college. But there's definitely a point where my productivity drops off. And I can tell. I can tell when I'm writing and things like that. I, I get, It's an itch uh, where I'm, I, I got to get up. I got to move around. I got to do something differently. So it's about four to five hours of solid writing. Now, sometimes, now solid, it's four to five hours of sitting in front of the computer and forcing myself to work. So sometimes that really flows really well. The The water coming through the tap is really strong and it's blasting out of there. And some days it's just dripping. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, Jack London was famous for saying, you can't wait for inspiration. You have to go after it with a club. And I very much agree with that. That's so true. Brad, if you look back and think about the writers that have influenced you, who would be your top three? Top three. So my thing was I started reading a lot of adult thriller writers way too early. I, there's no way I would have let my kids read what I was reading at the age I was reading it. So my parents loved guys like Le Carre and Clancy and Freddie Forsyth. And when they would put those books down, I'd pick them up. So my parents didn't know they'd finish a book and I'd grab it. And I would, you know, I'd, the guy under the covers with the flashlight, that whole thing. So I, you know, Clancy, Clancy was okay. I always thought Clancy was a little, my dad swore, my dad's such a funny guy. He swore that Clancy got paid by the word, not by the book, <laughs> but by the word. And Elmore Leonard was famous for saying the best piece of advice you can get, two great pieces of advice you can give a young writer. Number one, don't start with the weather. You know, it was a dark and stormy night. And number two, leave out the parts that people skip. So uh, I, Clancy was very wordy. Clancy was probably the hardest for me to to read, but I learned probably the most from reading Clancy because I realized there were certain things that I loved about Clancy in his books and certain things I didn't like. So Clancy really had a detail-oriented mind. So, you know, he'd go through how the guidance system on a missile works. And for me, all that mattered was I got two, you know, I've got two guys from fifth group that are in a hide and they're lazing a target and that's how the missile knows where to hit. I don't need the whole interior workings of the of the guidance system and all that kind of stuff and how it finds its target. So, but I would I'd have to say it's Clancy, it's Le Carre and Freddie Forsyth, probably the uh, 
probably the three biggest influences. And and I love David Morrell too. I've always been a huge David Morrell fan and he did some intelligence uh, operative characters, which were fabulous. And I will say this, I'll throw a, a real wild card here that a lot of people don't know is Sidney Sheldon, who wrote a lot of romance novels and all this kind of stuff. Sidney Sheldon actually wrote a couple of solid, solid intelligence infused thrillers that were just fantastic. Uh, so uh, I always throw him out there and people are like, are you serious? Sidney Sheldon, the memories of midnight and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, no, he did a couple of solid books that had like stuff that I write about. Well, Deadfall is slated to be published on July 25th. Is there anything else you would like to say, Brad, before we let you go? It's a great question. You know, this book, Deadfall, probably the most intense thriller I have ever written. I mean, this was one I walked way out on a limb and started, you know, I had a saw and I was sawing behind me as I was out on this limb. I know that the book, like I said, I think before we started recording, the early reviews have been unbelievable for this book. And that feels great because as I wrote this book, I finished it, I edited it, turned it into the publisher. I was like, I don't know. I really took a lot of chances. I went far out on that limb. I was doing stuff that I've never done before. It was so intense. It was such a, it really, really was a, um, a, 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 an emotionally and psychologically complicated book, particularly for everything that Harveth went through. And again, if you haven't read one of my books before, you can absolutely start with Deadfall. But the fact that I'm getting such good feedback from people who don't have skin in the game, you know, when I hear from reviewers who can say, eh, thumbs up, thumbs down, I didn't like it. And they're saying my favorite Brad Thor book ever, then I know I did something right with Deadfall. Thank you so much, Brad, for being on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Fred. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.